fortunate today to have Dr. Chris Flanders, who is a professor at Abilene Christian University, where I went to school. But beforehand, um, somebody asked, asked him when we were up here doing our praise team communion, what kind of student was Eric? And he shook his head and said, I better not comment on that. So don't ask him. Um, he's also the director for the Halbert Institute for Missions, which trains missionaries to go all over the world. And he's been there at Abilene for 11 years. Before that, he was a missionary in Thailand for 11 years with his family, eight of those in the city of Chiang Mai, where he planted churches. He now leads at the Highland Church of Christ in Abilene, which we'll call Highland West. He, he leads there a group of missionary-minded people who are dedicating to working towards ending human trafficking in Asia. And um, we're really fortunate to have him with us today. He's married to Kara Flanders, formerly Kara Duval, who went to Harding. So many of you might know her. They've got two kids, a senior in high school and a freshman in high school. And we're really glad to have him here today to work with our missions team after services as we prepare for our future work in China, which you're supporting today, but also to preach to us today about missions in the church and your part in that. Dr. Flanders, will you preach for us? Thanks, man. I have to say with, with Chris and Eric and the leadership team that you have here, you all are blessed, and, and you, you know that, I'm sure. Uh, but I just want to say it as an outsider looking in uh, that you've got great things going here. And I'm excited to be here, particularly because as uh, I stepped off the airplane and, was, and got into Eric's uh, car yesterday, I realized something sh shameful. I didn't realize until I actually experienced it. My wife and I pass through Memphis two to ten times a year. She, her family is in a little town in Kentucky just north of Bowling Green. And I used to fly through here, a Northwest Delta hub, constantly. And this is the first time that I have actually stepped on terra firma Memphis in my entire life. And I was so stunned to realize this. And, and so it's been really wonderful to be here just for a short time. I got barbecue yesterday, and that was wonderful. Um, and I'm pleased to be here to, to talk about important things. I don't know if you've noticed, if you've read your Bible, uh, the Bible is, is a book full of surprises, isn't it? And sometimes we, we're so familiar with it that maybe we miss some of these, but if you were to read the Bible as an outsider, as a new set of eyes, you see a lot of surprises. For example, identifying and taking a Babylonian polytheist, somebody who would basically be like an Iraqi today, and making him the center point, the centerpiece of your plan to bless all the nations of the earth, Abraham. That's kind of a surprise, isn't it? Or, fast forward a little bit further, taking a cheating conniver of a guy, Jacob, that's what his name means, and making him the namesake, changing his name, and making him the father of the nation that you will use to bless the peoples of the earth and become your prized possession. That's a surprise. Or taking an obscure group of people from a podunk corner of the Roman Empire, some place, a name that nobody has ever heard of, like Hazard, Kentucky. Apologies, anybody here from Hazard, but someplace in the sticks, the hillbillies, and taking a 
a carpenter and a bunch of bumbling, bungling incompetents who have no education and no theological training and investing all your hopes in your global project into that group of people. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Or flipping the greatest arch enemy of that earliest Christian community, the persecutor and sworn enemy of the faith, and flipping him and and working with him to become the primary reason that this little faith, little Jewish sect of a faith tucked in a corner goes to all of the Roman Empire. Surprise. There are all kinds of surprises that happen throughout Scripture. Too many to name. Habakkuk does talk about one, if you recall, in Habakkuk 1.5. The prophet's words, look at the nations and watch, God speaking, be utterly amazed, be surprised. I am going to do something in your midst that even if I came down and told you, you would not believe it. And of course, for Habakkuk, this is raising up the Babylonian nation, a nation that was much, much more unrighteous and much more severe and, and sinful than, than God's people, and yet using that nation to punish God's people for their own sin. That was the surprise that nobody would believe. Well, what's the surprise that none of us would believe today? Is there? There is. So get ready. Here's the surprise. God has moved south. No, I don't mean Alabama. I don't mean Florida or Arizona. What I mean is this, and obviously I understand that God doesn't technically live in the world like we tend to live as finite humans. The center of Christianity for several hundred, if not more years, has been in the area we would call the North Atlantic. That is Europe, Northern Europe, and North America. And if you were to identify 200 years ago, if you were to ask somebody, where's the center of Christianity? They might say someplace like Nashville or Memphis or Indianapolis or New York or London, depending on what particular denominational way you interpreted that. But however you gave answer to that question, it was going to wind up being an answer that involved someplace in the global north, the North Atlantic, probably North America or Northern Europe. That is no longer the case. Somewhere, sometime in the past 40 or 50 years while we were sleeping, that shift happened. That is, at the center of the Christian faith, and by here, I gloss broadly. Christian is a broad term. There's obviously a time, a conversation to, to ask about doctrine and to ask about discipleship and what is a Christian and what is just an attender, and, and that's an important conversation. But for today, I'm just glossing broadly. People who claim the Christian faith, the center, the numerical and, and energy center of what we would call global Christianity has moved from the north somewhere south of the equator. And in, in actuality, it's many wares, not just one single place. The centers of Christianity today are in places like Brazil and Nigeria 
and Malawi and the Philippines and China. In 1910, just over 100 years ago, 80% of the global population of Christians lived in what we would call the North, the North Atlantic and the North American area, 80%. In 2010, 61% is now in the global South. 61% of the people who call themselves Christian are now below the equator. By 2050, that's estimated to be 75% and accelerating. U.S. is still a significant base of Christian population and Christian energy. Look, look here. We're proof of that. We continue to be a significant group of Christians, but it's these stories of these other emerging countries, like I just mentioned, Brazil, Nigeria, Kenya, China, India, that are stunning. In Korea, when Protestant missionaries began to work in the nation of Korea in the late 1800s, they counted around 100 Protestant believers. Fast forward till today, 15 million believers, a nation that is 30 to 35% Christian, and one of the most vital missionary sending countries in the history of Christianity. So much so that if you, you took the percentage of churches to missionaries in the country of Korea, that is how many missionaries do they send per church member? If you were to take that percentage of the Korean church and then apply it to us in churches of Christ, we think we have sent now, right now, about five to 600 missionaries today, right now, currently. But if we were to take the Korean percentage and apply that to us, we would multiply that by 700%. That's how, that's how energetic they are in raising up missionaries and sending them out. Nearly 4,000 missionaries we would be sending if we were to match the passion of the Korean church. Sub-Saharan Africa, if you take a line, you draw it across the top of Africa, the northern um, Islamic part of Africa on the top, but below it, the, the line of everything in Africa that falls below the, sub the Saharan line. The turn of the 19th century, maybe 10 million believers, by 2050, it's estimated that there will be one billion Christian believers in the continent of Africa, making it by far the most Christian space in the world. And it's countries like Nigeria and Malawi and Kenya and Uganda and Rwanda and Ghana that are making that happen. And then there's China. And we could go into detail about the story of China. Nobody knows. God only knows, of course. Statistics are difficult in China. Official churches, underground house churches. What we do know is this, that when the communists took over in the late, just post-World War II era, the late 1940s, there might have been 60 or 70 mil, uh, million um, Christians there. I'm sorry, a thousand? My, my brain is... Fast forwarding ahead, Seven, 600 to 700,000 Christians about that time, fast forward till today, we think that there may be well over 200 million 
Um, in fact, experts suggest that by 2030, so 14 years from now, think of how old you'll be in 14 years. In 14 years, the most populous Christian nation in the world will be China, with more Christians in that country than in any other country in the entire world. They're sending missionaries. They're sending missionaries to us. The Chinese house churches got together a couple of decades ago. Seven leaders of really significant large networks of house churches got together for a time of, of prayer and fasting and discernment, and they asked God what their role in the global church was going to be. And they decided out of that to tithe, to tithe 10%. But most of their churches are extraordinarily poor, farmers who don't have cash. They, they didn't decide to tithe money. They committed to God, the seven, network, seven house church networks, to tithe members. That they would tithe 10% of themselves to be sent out as missionaries to evangelize the old silk road that goes all the way back to Jerusalem. And that they expected that within a 30-year period that they would raise up and send out fully supported 100,000 missionaries, Chinese missionaries, to do that work. Now, that's a tithe, isn't it? If you count missionaries not as people who leave their country, but as simply people who leave their cultural space, so from one culture into another, so that could be, for example, ministering, in um, Spanish-speaking Miami, that'd be a good example. Sending somebody to move where they're speaking a different language and a different culture, but not necessarily leaving their country. If we count that as a missionary, the number one missionary-sending country in the world today is China. Sending out by far more missionaries than the United States sends out because of all the different ethnicities and language groups that are all over their own country. This is a surprise, isn't it? This is a different world that we're living in today than just a few decades ago. And this is true in churches of Christ, not just broadly. There was a point not too many decades ago where we know that the balance tipped of members of churches of Christ outside of North America greater than those in North America we know that we've gone far beyond that now, and we know for in fact that, that the number of members of Churches of Christ in the continent of Africa outnumbers now the number of members of Churches of Christ in Canada and North America. And they're sending missionaries back to us too. I have a friend who's responsible for training all of the church planters for the Redeemer Church of God out of Nigeria, a church that did not exist until 1980, that now numbers 15 million, has missionaries in 64 countries, and has megachurches planted in the United States, in New York, uh, a couple of cities in Ohio, and Dallas-Fort Worth, a 2,000-member megachurch that these missionaries from Nigeria planted in Dallas. Also have a 1,000-member church in Seattle and one in Los Angeles. They're evangelizing us. This is somewhat of a surprise. We could go on and talk about all of the different countries 
that are doing similar sorts of things. So what's my point in laying out these statistics and talking about this shift? Well, one of my points is not to say that we should now back off from global missions. Just the contrary. I think the opportunity before us is so exciting. We are literally living in one of the most exciting moments in the history of Christianity right now. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that. We're going to have to change the way that we relate to these growing churches that are no longer just receivers of missionaries and receivers of our resources, but actually mature partners. We're going to have to dance a little differently there with our, our friends in places like Brazil and China. But we can figure that out. We need to continue to press into God's future and to participate along with God in these amazing and surprising things that God is doing. So the time is not to rest on our laurels. And if there's a church that had a legitimate claim to rest on its laurels, it could be the Highland Church. I've known about you for years. Known Joe Cannon and his children and known about other things that you have done throughout history. But now is not a time to rest on our laurels. Now is a time to press forward. Do you realize that by giving today, $126,000 is the goal. Do you realize that by participating, by giving into that goal, you will be funding possibly the work that will go into exploding new networks of Chinese house churches that may, in a generation or two, see evangelists from those very house churches come back and help us evangelize North America. We're seeing this already today. Do you realize that by investing today in this good work that Highland is doing, you're helping revitalize faith in Ukraine? Faith is flourishing in difficult places like post-communist Europe, but it's vibrant. If you want to learn how to pray, if you want to learn how to give, if you want to learn how to serve, go spend time with believers from India. A friend of mine who was a church planner there regularly schedules, not at his own initiative, but at the Believer's Initiative, all-night prayer vigils. Once a month, these churches in Mumbai, India, gather together and pray all night long on a work night, pray all night, have space where they put the kids, let the kids sleep, they pray all night long, then get up, go home, shower, go to work. Once a month, at a minimum. You wanna learn how to pray? Go to India. You wanna learn how to give sacrificially? Go to places like Nigeria where people are literally giving their last bits so that the church can do its work there. We have so much to learn from the global church, and by participating today, we can help that grow. And we can put ourselves in a position to where we'll reap those benefits too. What a surprise, maybe the greatest of all, that the creator God who could have done this all himself, unilaterally, it would have been cleaner 
It would have been more efficient. It would have been more productive and probably very, very much quicker. That the creator God chose not to do things unilaterally and execute his plan on his own, but asked us to join him. He, he invited us down from the stands to be a part of the play on the field. And because that's the way that God has chosen to do this, our participation matters. It's not enough to just say, well, the Lord's will. Our participation matters. And the possibility of growing networks of house churches in China, the, the possibility of growing faith among youth in Ukraine, and theologically trained leaders in Melanesia, the possibility of those things can be realized when we act. And so that's the opportunity this morning. Please, Highland, act. Participate in this amazing thing that God is doing, something so amazing that if you had told me this 20 years ago, I would not have believed you. God has moved south, but God is still here working in our midst. I pray that we recognize that and we lean into that and we praise God for that good work and continue to do that just as you've been doing.